Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. On this episode, we have two guest co-pilots and fellow podcasters. From the Digital Killed the Radio Star podcast, David Hudson and Chris Craig are here. Fellas, welcome to the R4 podcast. Hey, man. How you doing? Good to see you again. Good. Good to see you. Thanks for having us, too. Absolutely. Yeah, Aaron, been looking forward to this for a while, and like I told you before we went on the air, my boy Jason Donchus knocked it out of the park on that New Adventures in Hi-Fi, and I'm, I'm a little bit scared because I got a lot to live up to. He was prepared, man. So on this episode, we're going to review the Gaslight Anthems 2008 album, The 59 Sound. So David, let's start with you. How did you discover the Gaslight Anthem in this particular album? Well, Chris has been a just a monster fan of these guys pretty much ever since they came out, I think. And uh, he had been on me for years and years and years to listen to them. And I'm one of these people that like the more you try to force something down my throat, I have a tendency not to like it. And so I, I just didn't l- really let it get me there for a while. And this is kind of funny. Um, I had broken a bone in my foot and was having some issues with, with it and, and in a lot of pain. And the doc- I was scheduled to see a specialist and they gave me obviously some pain pills and stuff. And so I was kind of looped up a little bit sitting in my chair and I was like, I'm going to give this 59 sound a spin and a light came on. And within about a week, I owned everything they ever put out. And uh, they have their Brian Fallon and, and Gaslight Anthem are probably a top 10 band slash artist for me now. All right. Chris, how about you? You know, I know this sounds pathetic, but then again, I think we as music fans can all relate to this. When you ask, how did I get into them? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I've tried to think about this. I was prepared for this question. And my best guess is listening to Sirius XM. I, or not, it was before Sirius XM. I think it was just XM radio at the time. And I think they came on the punk station, whatever it, the one used to be called before they merged with uh, Sirius. And pro- it was probably the 59 sound. I heard the song, loved it. I bought the record, fell in love with it, went and bought Sink or Swim, their prior one, because at the time, they only had the two records out. And so I went and bought Sink or Swim and just fell in love with it as well. And then probably not a a real long time after that, they released the uh, follow-up to 59 Sound, handwritten, and um, I've just been a huge fan ever since. I was fortunate enough when they put out uh, their last studio record, Get Hurt, my cousin and I, we used it really as an excuse to go to New York and just hang out. And so we went to see him in New York. And, you know, this is a Jersey band. So going to see him in New York City, it's kind of a home show. And we saw him at Webster Hall. And the place was oversold. And it just was so cool. They opened with the 59 Sound. And to this day, it's probably my favorite, let's call it theater, or small venue, whatever you want to call it. Probably my favorite theater show ever. The intensity with that home crowd. And uh, little did I know. That was their last tour that they were going to do. And then they put out the indefinite hiatus, which we can get to later if we have time for that. And, uh, and then I was fortunate enough to see them, the record we're going to talk about, about. I think this was 17 or 18. They did the uh, 59 sale and they did the 10-year anniversary. And that was an incredibly difficult ticket to get. And I saw the reunion show, 59 sale in Chicago. Wow. So this is their biggest record, though, right? It is. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I appeared on your podcast in January of 2021. I had to look that up. I couldn't even remember exactly when it was to talk about Bruce Springsteen. 
And I remember then that you guys were telling me about the Gaslight Anthem and how they're influenced by Springsteen. By the way, I had a great time on that episode. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. I do. Yeah, absolutely. I did too. I'd never heard of the Gaslight Anthem. And after we finished recording, this band just kind of flittered out of my head. I, I forgot all about them until we set this episode up. So in the past two months or so, I got my first taste of the Gaslight Anthem, and I listened to this record about 20 or so times. So I'm ready to give it an honest review. I'm ready to go. Cool. Okay. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, yanked straight off its Wikipedia page. The 59 Sound is the second studio album by American rock band The Gaslight Anthem, released on August 19th, 2008 on Side One Dummy Records. It was produced by Ted Hutt and was recorded in 2008 at Sage and Sound Studios and Mad Dog Studios, Los Angeles, California. It reached number 55 on the UK Albums Chart and number 70 on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified gold by the BPI. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Brian Fallon on lead vocals and guitar, Alex Rosamilia on guitar and backing vocals, Alex Levine on bass guitar and backing vocals, and Benny Horowitz on drums, tubular bells, tambourine, garbage can, and chains. Also, all tracks were written by Brian Fallon, Alex Rosamilia, Alex Levine, and Benny Horowitz. All right, let's barrel into a track-by-track -track analysis of this album. Kicking things off is Great Expectations. David, what do you think? Well, first of all, I love the tip of the hat to vinyl at the beginning. You hear the vinyl scratches. And Brian Fallon, if he knows anything, he knows how to write nostalgia. And to me, this is just kind of setting the tone for the record. I love how there is no count. The band just starts off on all six cylinders, kind of with a punk beat. And uh, you'll find this as we go through. A lot of, Fallon, one of the things he likes to use is to use female names in the songs. Like he uses female names in almost every one of these songs. So we don't necessarily know who the subject of the song is, but they have a history of being abandoned by the ones they care about. So he's asking, why should he expect Mary you know, to be any different, or does she stay and surprise him? Benny Horowitz's drums play a huge role in setting the mood of a lot of these songs, and this is just a great example of that. The tempo really doesn't change that much for the whole song, which I think is a nod a little bit to their punk roots. If you really break down the lyrics and listen, this is an extremely sad song. And I did not pick up on how sad it was until I saw Brian solo. And for the encore, he comes out and plays this by himself on a piano. And obviously it's, it's slower and you get it. And this song made my wife a lifelong Brian Fallon fan when she heard him play it on um, the piano. And it's just kind of a sad life of a, of a guy that's like, Everybody that he's ever cared about has left him. So at this point, why should he expect any different? He does name check Stella. And so that's the first song where he drops a woman's name. But this is one of my favorite Gaslight Anthem songs. Chris, how about you? But the first mention of a name, David, is Mary. Right. 
and he says, Mary, the station is playing every sad song. Who else always sings about Mary? <laughs> Aaron, I think you know the answer to this. Yes. It's a guy who's also from New Jersey. Mr. Springsteen does. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think this album, what I really like about this is there are a lot of references to his music heroes in this album. We're, we'll, we're going to talk about that. A lot of references. And this is the first one. I agree with what David said. It's a it's a sad song. You know, I, I don't know any other way to break it down than he's just talking about everybody he loves. So he cares about Lee's him. So why wouldn't Mary? You know, you're you're going to leave me, too. I love the song. I think it's a great, great, great album opener. And I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself because I want to one thing I am going to interject is I think the opening track and the ending track, the way the book ends are masterful. And one thing I did find when I was prepping for this interview is that Joseph, he's the co-founder of Side One Dummy. This is from him. He said, the craziest thing I've ever had happen. I walked into the pre-production studio and Fallon says, look, here's the order of the album. And in my mind, I'm like, what do you mean the order? We haven't recorded it. The chances of all these songs making the record, the chances that you're going to start with great expectations and you're going to end with the back seat. I remember it kind of being like, I'll let you run it, but it'll never happen that way. Folks, it happened that way. So he knew. <laughs> yeah, great opening track, though. Okay. So when you guys first told me that this band is heavily influenced by Springsteen, I was like, cool, I can't wait to hear it. But when this song starts, it doesn't sound like the E Street Band. I mean, hell, it doesn't even sound like the Beaver Brown Band. To me, it sounds like 90s-style alternative rock infused with a bit of pop-punk energy. The tempo's fast, and any longtime listener of this podcast could tell you I really struggle with 90s alt-rock, so I was immediately put off upon first listen. So I listened again, and I still didn't like it. And then I paid more attention to the vocals and lyrics, and yes, I hear Springsteen cadences and inflections in the vocals, Brian Fallon's voice is even in Bruce's range, and the lyrics are good. So to me, it was about a guy struggling with his relationships. And he, one, one is his first wife who left him and he keeps dreaming about her and his current relationship with Mary in which he worries that she's going to leave him. And that thought just kind of eats at him. There's references to the Charles Dickens novel, Great Expectations, the character Estella. I've read that novel, as well as the Bob Seger song, Night Moves. And I got to say, it took a while, but this track finally grew on me. And as it slows down and ends, there are more Springsteen elements with the bells ringing, and I can finally try to settle into the record. So it took a little bit, but this did grow on me. This is a good track. The next track is the title track, The 59 Sound. David, what do you think? This is one of my favorite songs that's been written this century. Uh, the song starts with some fast drumming by uh, Jimmy Fallon, I mean, Jimmy Fallon, by Brian Fallon, and then the rest of the band chimes in. The lead up to the band coming in, I think, really builds the energy up. 
when they get to the course, it's almost a frantic energy that leads to a, a, just an anthemic chorus. The song is about a friend who died in a car wreck while Fallon was playing a song down the road. The reference to Marley's Change is from a Christmas Carol story. Fallon is hoping his friend doesn't have a lot of punishment for the life that he lived. Also, I think he's asking his friend, what is it like to die? And uh, Fallon is, uh, does not shy away from his Christian faith ever. Matter of fact, he just put out a Christian uh, Christmas Carol album. But uh, he's asking his friend, like, when you died, was there a gospel choir? Did you hear a gospel choir playing? Did you hear the 59 sound, which is a nod to nostalgia in his childhood? Did you hear your favorite song, meaning in the, is the afterlife easy? Is it when, when you cross over? Uh, in the end, we were told, you know, young people shouldn't die young. This is the first song that he wrote for the album. No Expectations was the second song he wrote for the album. This is the song that I think in Hyde Park uh, in London, Springsteen got on stage and played it with them. And, and Springsteen loves this song. It's one of his, I think it's what built their relationship. But if I were to sum up Gaslight Anthem in one song, it is this song. And it has such a cool vibe to it. Uh, like Chris said, I... I haven't seen him play it live yet, but every video you see, the place goes nuts. And like I said, this is one of my favorite songs that's written, you know, in the last 20 years or so. All right. Chris. Yeah, well, David's he, he said a lot of what I was going to say about a friend passing and Marley's Chains from A Christmas Carol. You know, I, it is a sad song, but there's a beauty to it as well. And what I mean by that is, the reference to hearing the 59 sound playing through grandmama's radio, I think that's a pleasant thought. You know, you're thinking of great memories, uh, fond memories of your past. And when he said, did you, did you hear your favorite song one last time? Uh, look, we're on this podcast right now for one reason. We love music. And so what a what a beautiful thought. You know, did you, when you passed, did you hear that, that your favorite song one last time? Did I get to hear the cures just like heaven? I, I love that part of the song. As far as and of course the other thing the lyric he's saying young young boys young girls ain't supposed to die on a Saturday night I think that's heartbreaking you know you, it's you, they're passing too young they're passing on a Saturday one thing I will read of what Fallon said because people do wonder what he's talking about the fifty nine sound he said the intangible thing of the fifty nine sound is that it it didn't mean anything about the fifties to me it reminded me of my grandmother in a time where simpler things were valued more friendships, relationships, and that kind of thing. There weren't so many distractions. You didn't have so many goals. Now a kid grows up and he could be anything. That's great, but it's also very daunting because which of the anythings do you be? Pretty powerful. And that is the first song too, that when I saw them at Webster Hall, that's what they opened with. And the place lost their minds. And it was, and the energy never slowed down from that point. And to open with what's probably your biggest song, that's that's pretty cool. That doesn't happen often. Kind of ballsy, too. It is. And it also shows you have a lot of good songs. Yes. That's confidence. So I hear lots of down-picked ringing chords, and the rhythm section is pushing the tempo again. Barry Horowitz's drums are up front and driving this song. I think you mentioned that, David. While Alex Levine's bass is not fancy, but it holds down the bottom end. And lyrically, you, you guys said it. I'm just going to be repeating what you guys said. But the narrator is missing his friend who died in a hospital as the result of a car crash while the narrator was playing a gig down the road. 
And the narrator fondly recalls the old days with his pal, listening to their favorite song on Grandmama's radio, while also contemplating death and wondering what his friend experienced at the very end and hoping that we don't have to answer for our misdeeds we committed in life, symbolized by the chains of Jacob Marley's ghost in the Charles Dickens story of Christmas Carol. Dickens again, does Brian Fallon have a hard-on for the guy? I don't know. But once I finally trained my ear to the sound that the Gaslight Anthem is putting out, this track, like the first one, became much better for me. It has great depth lyrically, and I definitely can glom onto that. The following track is Old White Lincoln. If I could die, I'd tell you how much I miss these nights where we dig around the bones, try to find peace, the patches for the holes. I live cigarette on a part of me that corner boys told the house down to me. Like a prayer I said on a dead man's knee, you drove up like a parade. You and your hot top sneakers and your set of tattoos. David, your thoughts? Well, as we start song number three, you and you probably can attest to this, the first three songs pretty much have the same tempo, which uh, a lot of times that bothers me. I, I like a change of pace, but it doesn't here because the lyrics are always so good in, in his music. And one of the things I think about Brian Fallon, he doesn't really leave a lot to the imagination. He's pretty much a storyteller. There, There's not a whole lot to interpret with these lyrics. Um, I love the part which starts out of the car, long hair, and I've always kind of thought this is alluding to someone that maybe doesn't fit in to where they are and they stick out like, you know, the awkward teenage years. And maybe you're not with the cool crowd or you're not with the rich kids or whatever. And I love when it goes into the uh, the course. I think it has a cool, almost rockabilly type vibe to it. But it, it, this song's very simple. He's talking about an old girlfriend or reminiscing about the fall of their relationship. And that's something that that Fallon does whether it's this solo material or all throughout Gaslight, he, he tells these stories to people that are really sad, but he has a way at the end of giving you optimism. And uh, I think this one's just straightforward. It's a good song. It's not my favorite on here, but it's certainly not a bad song. Chris? Yeah, a lot of what David said I agree with. You know, I do think it's about, probably it's about missing an ex. I do love that opening. And I think the the band's just hitting you with another punch. You know, the, the first few songs, it's just it seems unrelenting. It doesn't slow. I mean, it's that fast paced tempo. And I think this is another example of the way the sequencing, or the sequencing was brilliant by Fallon when he did this. One thing that really stands out to me is I, I, I put in my notes. I said very unique and subtle background vocals in the verses, and you can tell those background vocals are being performed by Fallon. And we got another reference here to one of his heroes in the cold cold ground clearly a tom waits reference you know he's a huge waits fan so am i and uh yeah you you start off in the first three songs you're you're giving a nod to springsteen and a nod to waits i'm all in to me this song perfectly solves a question i've had since the 80s what would rem sound like fronted by paul westerberg singing springsteen style lyrics (laughs) The guitars jangle and the bass leads the way like early R.E.M. And there are Mike Mills-esque backing vocals that also make me think of that band, along with straightforward, less frantic drumming like R.E.M. does. 
Fallon's voice occasionally has that raspy roughness of Westerberg, especially the way he sang on later Replacements records. And come to think of it, I do hear quite a bit of the Replacements in this band, too. And to bring it full circle, both R.E.M. and the Replacements were hugely influential on alt-rock. So Fallon's getting nostalgic again, remembering the girl with the high-top sneakers, sailor tattoos, and an old white 55 Lincoln, with the top rolled down on a warm summer night under indifferent stars. I love that phrase, indifferent stars. Her falling into his arms. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's huge Springsteen vibes. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be saying at the whole podcast. I mean, you guys cued me in on that. And you can't help but, but pick it up. With the line, bring a dollar with you, baby, and the cold, cold ground is directly lifted from the Tom Waits song, Cold, Cold Ground. Like you said, Chris, this band sure is borrowing from some great sources. The next track is High Lonesome. David, let's have it. All right. I think this is one of the, if you really concentrate on the lyrics, this is one of the saddest songs that Brian Fallon has written. It, it, I think it's pretty clear. It's about a, uh, a female that comes from a troubled past and she thinks, you know, leaving her, leaving where she grew up and going and making something of herself, kind of alluding to being a star, uh, maybe in the movies or music business. And she's looking at that to make her happy. But it doesn't. And she has depression and lo- and loneliness issues that she copes with drugs. Like I said, while she's seeking out her dream of stardom that will make her happy. Yeah, all right. So he's done Springsteen and he's done Tom Waits. Now we're going to do Tom Petty. And he mentions the song Southern Accents, which is a great Tom Petty song. And I think there's two meanings there. One, I think it's just a shout out from Fallon to one of his heroes. He covers he's covered Tom Petty before. He admits he's a huge Tom Petty fan. And I think when he's talking about I heard Southern accents on the radio, it's this person realizing I thought something was going to make me happy. It's not. I kind of miss being in the South and its familiarity. And like I said, I think it's one of, of Fallon's saddest songs. And I think the whole part about the boots made a high and lonesome sound is she's coming to where she's going to go to try to be happy. But she's bringing the baggage, drug issues, the depression. It's there. It just traveled with her. And it's the first thing that hits the ground when she gets there. Yeah, I think I think Southern Accents is one of Petty's greatest songs. Oh, I love that song so much. Agreed. Chris, what do you think? So I'll put this as another incredible transition to the next song. I, I love the sequencing, uh, the sequencing, and I, and I think I think that's a, a an art that a lot of people don't pay attention to, and I think music dorks like us do. And aside from the songs being great, the lyrics being great. It's the sequencing that he does, and and then we're just staying on that same transition, that same pattern. You know, he, uh, another another reference in this song too. David mentioned uh, Tom Petty, but she'd like to meet a boy who looked like Elvis. It's a nod to the Counting Crows. So there he goes again, round here. But this one, I do really like this track. I don't have a whole lot to say about this one in particular. I do. We've already had a couple of, um, I guess appreciative comments appreciation comments to benny horowitz and this is one for me i just said on this one the guy's hitting so hard 
and I can hear his hardcore roots because the guy does have a, a hardcore past, hardcore and he, music. And he does mention Maria in this one. Nice. <laughs> so sonically, I can't distinguish this much from the first two tracks. It's got the fast tempo, fast down pick chords with some fast picked arpeggios in the verses. This is clearly the Gaslight Anthem formula for the fast numbers, at least on this album. I, I haven't checked out any of their other stuff. Fallon's throwing out the quotes and references all over this motherfucker. Springsteen, Counting Crows, Billy Joel, Tom Petty, to tell the story of Maria, a once beautiful young girl who came from Nashville, who's lost her looks and ends up waitressing for the boys who once worshipped her. Burned out and defeated by life. Kind of everything, everything that you were saying, David. Taking drugs to mask the pain in the song is just drowned in sorrowful regret. Fallon's narrator observes all this and he kind of relates it to his own life, wishing that he was someone else. This song does the Springsteen trick too. If he and actually they, he does that a lot. It's, it must be a style of Fallon that he picked up from Springsteen. He pairs fast, upbeat music with down, depressing lyrics. So it almost fools you if you're just listening to it sonically and you don't pay attention to the lyrics. You're like, well, all right, all right, let's go. This is, a, you know. but the lyrics tell a whole different story than what the, what the music does. Springsteen does that quite a bit. They don't pull it off quite as well as the E Street Band, in my opinion. This one, this one I can kind of take or leave. Lyrically, it's still strong, but I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, all right, I've heard this. The sound. The following track is Film Noir. David, how about this one? All right, so now we get a different tempo. So we're five songs in. We're going to slow it down, and the tempo actually changes in the song as well. The title is not actually named in the song. I think understanding the what the, the, the definition of film noir is, I think, helps you with the song. It's a style or genre of filmmaking marked by a mood of pessimism, fatalism, and menace. So to me, the song is about a guy that is really, really trying to keep a relationship together. And he's been trying for years and it's still in trouble. And the line, I lit a fire that wouldn't go out. I think is mean, he's just so in love with this person that no matter what she does to him, he cannot put that flame out. And, um, I, I, I put, I put in here, he comes to the realization that he, that she has ruined him and he has to move on, but only to be tormented by the fact that his ego pride and ultimately his heart were destroyed by her. This has one of the the great things I like about Jimmy Fallon. Chris and I talk about all the time. He can just he just exudes emotion. And there's a part where he goes in, and there's a second guitar that comes in, is playing a, a little bit of a different melody. And he sings the way he sings. I lost so much blood in the falling out. It's like his heart is coming out on the floor. I just love that about him. And he can take the simplest lyric and put that inflection in it, and he just gets your hooks in your mouth. Chris. First of all, David, Aaron and I are sitting there laughing. You couldn't see because you're reading your notes. You said Jimmy Fallon again. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Brian Fallon. But, uh, you know, this is when the band finally shows us a little mercy and they slow that tempo down a bit. I think when like David gave the definition of film noir, 
I, I think it's fitting for an album named 59 Sound. It's another reference to a past era. Maybe we can call it a simpler time. This one has one of my favorite courses on the album, and I, I love the lyrics. And I lit a fire that wouldn't go out until I consumed the walls and roof of this house, until all I remember was burning away, and all I remember, you burned it away. I love those lyrics. The breakdown in this song, the style, the sound, the lyricism, brilliant. The lyrics and your sugar and spice and everything nice. You got Monroe hips, your poison lips and knives. And your sugar and spice and everything's nice. You got open wounds and a young boy's pride. Guys, Fallon's a damaged dude when we listen to the sound. <laughs> Some women have done him wrong. Yeah, it sounds like from experience. Okay, now here's something different. It rolls in slowly with Horowitz's nice syncopated beat using rim shots, tons of open space, and there's a bit of a darker vibe, which befits the title of the song. It then develops into something more familiar, but the pre-chorus has a guitar ringing in on every beat and it's insistent. And then the chorus maintains a more mid-tempo pace with a jangle in the guitar is a little bit more understated this time and the bass is a little bit more upfront in the mix. Again, it's different than what we've heard so far. And wow, does Fallon sound like Paul Westerberg to me on this. I could easily hear this track on a Westerberg solo album, actually, past the replacements. Lyrically, our boy's been burned. Matilda left him, and he's struggling. He's hitting the road, trying to rebuild his life for 10 years now. And he's still haunted by those Monroe hips, poison lips, and knives that opened up the wounds in his heart. I know you already said that, Chris, but I repeated it, and that's what I do on this show. She lied all the time, every night, and he can't get over it. His time keeps ticking away, and life gets shorter. We all got to deal with it. This was the first track on this record that grabbed me upon first listen, and it remains one of my favorite tracks on the record. The next track is Miles Davis and the Cool. Cause I never had a good thing, and I always had the blues. David, how cool are you, man? <laughs> Not very, but no pun intended. This is uh, this is a great song title. This is another reference to a simpler time, as he alludes to. Uh, the cool was a style of jazz that Miles Davis incorporated all these different various styles and blended them into one. He's the godfather of the blues and I mean of jazz and people that are into him, you know, are really into him. And you can look out who all he's influence Dwayne Allman said he learned to play guitar listening to kind of blue by Miles Davis but anyway it's about a guy that has a crush on a girl and realizes he's got to act now and if he doesn't the moment's going to get away from him uh, I love like to put your red dress on you know and he's like let's let's give it a go but also I think he's envisioning in the future that if it doesn't work out he'll always be sad about it but he'll always always be open to her coming back to him if she so desires it's uh, another song that's slower than the first four, which is good because it, we needed a little bit of a let up. Um, I think it's a really good song. It's not my favorite on the album, but it's on up there. Chris. So, you know, I think this is when the album really starts to get strong. And I love every song on this album. I mean, honestly, I think they're all great. And 
I, I'm not forgetting that 59 Sound is the second song. But once we hit this point, we're kind of getting that midpoint. And the next few songs, I think, are some of the best and probably some of the best of the Gaslight Anthem. And this is one of them. I love this song. David and I have talked a lot on past podcasts and just in just conversations in person, on the phone, whatever. One thing we really love about Brian Fallon, okay, he may not be the greatest vocalist who's ever lived, but for us, at least in our realm, he's one of the best emoters, I guess we could say. The, the way that he emotes, uh, you feel every lyric that guy spits out. And in this song, it, it's one of the, the highlights for me on an emotional level. Birth of the Cool. It's Miles Davis' compilation album. It's another mention of a past era. And what I was saying is, is it seems that it's a kid who's wanting to be cool. You know, he's longing for the girl, and that girl can do just that. That can make him, help him achieve that certain level of, of coolness. And I think it, the lyrics indicate that he is, like I said, he's wooing this girl. He tossed a stone on her window, on her window tells her to climb out on a roof. It sounds like nothing is going good for this kid. At least that's what he says. He says, I've never had a good thing. He's longing for that one good thing, and that's the girl. Uh, the, the lyrics, again, climb, uh, climb, climb out on that window, climb out on your roof, because I never had a good thing, and I always had the blues. But I heard that you always kind of wondered, Miles, strike up the cool. And then we get in the part where I feel like he's reminiscing. You know, Don't wait too long to come home. My, how the, the years and the youth passed on. Don't want to wait too long to come home. I will leave the front light on. And the night is our own. Don't wait too long. Again, this one for me is just that kid wanting the girl. And the girl can change everything in his life that's not going so well. That's my interpretation of it. And there is another reference. Like poor Mr. Pitiful, I can't turn you loose. Mr. Otis Redding. Okay, this is just straight up Springsteen. Everything about it, from the vaguely throwback guitar licks to the thumping Max Weinberg-esque drums to the simmering verses and big open choruses. And that breakdown section that repeats an ascending buildup is just pure E Street territory. The only thing it's missing are the keyboards and the saxophone. Fallon's also imitating Bruce once again with his vocal phrasing and cadences, and the lyrics could also have come from Bruce's pen, in my opinion. There's nostalgia of warm summer nights, a boy imploring his girl to climb out her window and take a mystery drive with him. Her parents don't like him, but she understands that our boy feels the cool. He feels cool, like Miles Davis. Hell, Miles birthed the motherfucking cool. All seen through the filter of looking back on a youthful courtship gone past, but it turned out okay. Our boy found a stone worthy to wrap her window and make her his. This is positively dripping with Springsteen ooze. And this is what I was expecting when you fellas told me about this band. Yep, I'm all over this one. Like I said, man, that's one of, it's one of my favorite tracks on the record. Mine too. The following track is The Patient Ferris Wheel. David, you like this one? 
All right, so this one's a little complicated for me. <clears throat> I think you have to do some. This is one of the few songs on here you kind of have to do a little bit of interpreting. Now, Chris and I are from the South. You're from the Northeast, so you may know a little bit more about this than us. But the Jersey Shore, you know, there's these carnival rides, and it's kind of like a throwback in time. And obviously, all that influences him. And uh, I've never been to the Jersey Shore, but I was doing some reading up on it, and there's there's fer- a lot of Ferris wheels and, and and things like that. So, I think the song is he's name dropping Jersey here and he's also name dropping familiar Jersey traditions such as a Ferris wheel. But I think the song is about a couple that's going through a tough stretch and he's from Jersey. And in his mind, the Ferris wheels are always going to be there. And so it's, it's something that's constant and he thinks that the relationship is going to make it, but he's also explaining there's going to be some bumpy rides. You know, when you ride a Ferris wheel, sometimes it stops, you know, you swing back and forth, things like that. I do not like Dickie Barrett from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones vocals on this. I, I cannot stand hearing that guy sing. It just It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. And over if you take him away, this is top shelf Gaslight Anthem, but the fact that he's on there and his singing is on there, it just kills me. Chris. So David is very, 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 very wrong. Uh, Dickie Betts is great on this song. So well, it would be if Dickie Betts was playing the guitar. <laughs> oh, Dickie Barrett. I pulled one of you. I pulled your number. Like, okay, sorry. This is my Jim. This is my Jimmy Fallon, David. <laughs> yeah. Dickie Barrett. Um, I love it. And you know, there was right around the time that that 10th anniversary tour came out, they released an album that had some B sides, some alternate versions of these songs. And this was one of them. And David liked it better because he said Dickie, Dickie Barrett was not in it. And a buddy, a, another a mutual friend of ours, we were, and, and I, we were both saying, man, you're crazy. I love this background vocal of him, him yelling, fight about it, fight about it, laughed about it. I think it adds to the song. That's just me personally. But this one, I love the opening verse. I love the emotion he starts with. I love that not tonight, not tonight, that intensity he has there. I think it's a common theme. He's missing a girl. You know, he keeps on with that one. And I think this one's not any different. But David was right. You know, when he's talking about, like, this is one where I really think of, when he's he's talking about the Jersey Shore. And this one is very, to me, uh, and I know we've already talked about this a lot, and I know this is a a repeating theme, and it's one Fallon might not be that interested in hearing, but it's classic Springsteen writing. Yeah, I think this could have been a Springsteen song on the river. I, I, I love the uh, the lyricism. Make, it's what makes me think, too, of Springsteen. You know, Carnival Lights, the 4th of July, Boardwalk Talks, In the Dead of the Night. It definitely has that Springsteen feel. I never felt so strange standing in the Jersey rain, thinking about what an old man said. Maybe I should call me an ambulance. I love this one, and I love Dickie Barrett. And Dickie Betts is okay, too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we're back to the up-tempo alt-rock jangle sound. And I got to say, it's not that I can't stand alternative rock. It has a guitar-based sound that should appeal to me. But that style just never imprinted on me. I could barely tell one band from another. And shit like this was a dime a dozen to me. This music actually is like a decade too late. It would have fit right in the late 90s with your Matchbox 20s and Incubuses or whatever. I just lumped all that shit together and it just, I just, it didn't do anything for me. 
But the lyrics depict a relationship going through its ups and downs through the metaphor of taking a ride on a Jersey Shore Carnival Ferris wheel. No matter what hardships and arguments they may go through, fighting about it and then laughing about it, uh, Dickie Barrett's vocals, they don't really bother me that much. I'm not a huge fan of the Mighty Mighty Boss tones, but yeah, here it's fine. Those carnival lights on the boardwalk always made her smile, and that's ultimately what he chooses to take from it. I've been to the Jersey Shore, yeah, and yeah, it's 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 an experience. You feel when you're there, especially if you're familiar with Bruce Springsteen's work. Yeah, you 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 feel the sense of holy. I'm here. This is this is what he was singing about. It's 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 actually pretty cool. I really want to make it clear that I don't hate this, but I don't love it either. It's just okay for me. The next track is Casanova, baby. How about this one, David? All right. So we name drop Virginia in this one. We got another female. I believe this is a writing from the perspective of a young guy that has a huge crush on a girl. And he knows he isn't her type. She may be a little bit out of his league, but he's going to give it his try. He was He's going to go up to her like he's Casanova, baby, you know, but he knows how it will end. But I love this lyric. We can run all night and dance upon the architecture. Come and take my hand. I'll be the best I can. He's going to give it the old college try, and he's going to lay it all on the floor. Uh, you know, and if she doesn't agree to be with him, there's nothing more than he can do. A little bit of a different beat, kind of uh, similar, I think, to um, the beat on How Lonesome. I would say this is probably my least favorite song of the album so far. Chris? Easily one of my favorite songs on the album. <laughs> but see, we disagree all the time. You know, I've said this, I've, I've made this comment many times. David's heard it many times. Aaron, you may not have heard this, but when we started this podcast, I thought, wow, David and I agree so much with music. We don't hardly agree with anything <laughs> on music, it seems like. And um, this is just another example. I love this one. Uh, I think there's a change up in the sound a bit on it. Yeah. I, and first of all, I just want to put this out there. If you, if you anybody that may like this song, Go to YouTube, search for uh, Brian Fallon, Casanova Baby. There's a video of him where he's uh, in it. NME did this video. He's sitting in the back of a, a van or a tour bus, whatever, and he's playing this song acoustic. And I actually like that version better. It is incredible. But so anyway, let's get to what a Casanova is. A man who is very fond of women and has very many love affairs. A man considered romantic and gallant, especially one who gives enormous attentions to women. So according to Fallon, at the beginning of this video, this black and white video that NME put out, he says, the song is about not so much being a Casanova, but trying to prove it to a lady anyway. And he says it with a little chuckle. And, you know, I, I personally relate to a lot of Fallon's lyrics, especially on this album. He is longing for simpler times, golden eras, classic cars, classic music, and doing very, very poorly with the ladies. And um, hey, guys, I relate to that. Like I said, 
I've always loved this song. I said it a couple minutes ago that we're we're really getting into the thick of this record, and this is one of the highlights. Again, he's trying to be the Casanova, but he's he's lacking the confidence. They even mentioned Virginia. Just because he name dropped so much, is that a nod to Sweet Virginia, the Stones? I don't know. Maybe he drops Mustang Sally, Wilson Pickett. My ear immediately perks up when I hear that variation of the Johnny Cash train beat. Okay, where are we going with this? Even when the tempo picks up and it goes into a little bit more of what we've heard so far in this record, Horowitz keeps those drums swinging, and I appreciate that. There's a peppy melodic guitar line that runs throughout the song and mostly follows the vocal melodies. That annoys me a little bit. The tone is high and it rings out too much and it draws too much of my attention away from the lyrics. Which, our boys playing Casanova, trying to romance Sweet Virginia. Come on down. I picked up on that too, Chris. Dreaming of getting out of this dead man's town and taking her away to someplace new. It's full of yearning and promise, which marked early <laughs> Springsteen songwriting. I think I'm going to be mentioning Bruce on every track, I think. This song isn't a knockout for me, but I do like what the rhythm section especially is doing. The following track is Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Traded their memories for Fairview and Acres And never play no pinball or get them past the breakers But now What do you think, David? All right, so this song starts off differently. It's one of the more uh, identifiable guitar riffs on the album, which is, you know, this isn't really a, a, a band that's really known for their guitar solos and guitar playing. Um, I love that cool little lick at the beginning. I think the song is about a guy that's getting older but not growing up. He's kind of like the old guy at the college bar, and he's his contemporaries have already moved on to this other stage in life. But, man, he's he's fighting the battle. He's fighting the good fight. He's trying to stay like he was kind of in the past but he's also realizing i can't do this forever i've got to i've got to move on uh, i mentioned the guitar riff and i love the organ swell on this before the last verse which is an instrument we really haven't heard a lot on this um i, I think it's a um a good song it's not it, this one's just kind of like in the middle it's not bad but for me it's just kind of in the middle of the songs on this album chris this is my least favorite song on the album and, and that being said, I really like it. it but, but that's what happens when you love albums. You're going to have a least favorite, even if you think it's a 10 out of 10. And this is the least favorite for me. You know, like a, as Butch Walker put, a, a singer-songwriter that I love, song he had mixtape, even the bad songs ain't so bad. And that's the way I feel about this one. It's definitely a slower song. We get another Tom Petty reference. We still love Tom Petty songs, as he says. And I'm repeating David, but it's it's a guy who's gotten older. He hasn't grown up. His friends have started families, but not him. He stayed the same. You know, the lyrics, I haven't seen Sandy and Johnny or Mary. I heard they got married, might have had a couple babies, and traded their memories for Fairview and Makers and never play no pinball or get them past the breakers. Like David said, just a guy getting, old, a guy getting older in age, but not really in maturity, not settling down when all of his friends are. 
And like I said, least favorite, but I still think it's a good song. It's the Gaslight Anthem Waltz. The title is taken from the 1976 novel by Tom Robbins. My mom was a big fan of Robbins. Still Life with Woodpecker, um, the first novel. I can't remember what it was. But this tune has nothing to do with the book. It just takes the title. And I like this one. I think I probably like it better than you two. <laughs> Anything that references Tom Petty gets a thumbs up from me. And man, I, oh, I still miss that guy. And musically, this has a definite Petty vibe to it. I could even hear him with that nasally croon singing this. There's even a nice melodic guitar line that sounds cut from Mike Campbell's cloth. But the lyrics, again, head into Bruce land. Some people refuse to grow up. You guys covered all this, but, you know, I do what I do. They stay static in some kind of limbo from the past, even when everyone else around them has matured and moved on. 30 going on 19. It's like when you go to your high school reunion and you see that old jock who can't get past the glory days. The narrator's aware that things have changed, but he perceives it as the world closing its arms on him. It's not for him. Come on, pretty baby. Little Eden's waiting. Let's go. These songs that have different flavors to them really stand out to me, and it's the ones that I really glom onto with this record. The next track is Meet Me by the River's Edge. David, how about this? All right, this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. He name drops Sally and Bobby Jean. I think the river, and obviously Bruce Springsteen has an album called that, but I think the river symbolizes youth, innocence, and a way to start over. Uh, and, and he is, we've said it a million times, he is really big on that. He's also really big on redemption, I think, which owes to some of you know his strong Christian faith. Uh, he's a person that just really wants to start over and wash away all his sins. And he feels like if he can find somebody to come along with him, maybe a new love, that that's a great start. Uh, and he found somebody that he wants to do that with, but all he needs to do is convince her to do the same. He also realizes this is surely a pipe dream. Chris. Yeah. So this one, like the last three songs, man, he, he te- we, we go on a ride on these last three. I love these last three songs. You know, after a slow down, even cowgirls get the blues. They bring back the energy. I think it's a, it's definitely more of a punk guitar opening on this one. I feel like the the lyricism on this one is, uh, well, first of all, there's a lot of Springsteen references on this one. I mean, No Surrendering, My Bobby Jean. We get two from one album, of course, off of uh, Born in the USA. But I think that, honestly, I think, take those aside, I think the lyrics on this, that, that sounds like something Springsteen could have written. Uh, it's uh, singing about coming from a small town where fathers are factory workers. He sings about the bright lights of Hollywood. He mentions Aubrey Hepburn. Yeah, honestly, it seems, it sounds similar to me that uh, lyrically and the style of the music to something that would have come off the Born in the USA era. You know, he's talking about escaping New Jersey. Maybe Born to Run? You know, I think it has that same type vibe for me, lyrically. But the song itself, God, I love this song. Meet me by the river's edge. Holy fuck nugget, Brian Fallon. What's next? Racing in the street on Thunder Road with a hungry heart? 
I mean, I get that you want to swing from Bruce's dick, but the references are out of control, guy. No surrender, my Bobby Jean. Washington's away in the river. No retreat, no regrets. Damn, dude. At least this one takes a different tack. Our boy got out of the old hometown with his Sally. Moved to California, just like Bruce did in the 90s. And now he's wondering if they really belong there. He feels out of place. Those hometown roots run deep. Now he looks back fondly on those old times. Hey, you know, Bruce moved back to Jersey, so why not you? Go ahead, man. The sound is the up-tempo jangle, the sound that I'm rather indifferent to, so ultimately this tune lands with a thud, and an eh for me. This is my least favorite. It is Aaron's Stinky Stinker. The penultimate track is Here's Looking at You, Kid. David, what do you say? All right, we've got Gail. So Gail is being mentioned, so he's throwing in a new name. I think this is like a sneaky sleeper song on this album. It's our most, sonically, it's the most simple one on the album by far. I think, let me go on this little rant, not really a rant, but explain this. I think this is his version of the Garth Brooks song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Is anybody familiar with that? Yeah, and I think that's a good analogy. So really essentially, it's it's Garth Brooks looking back on his life and thinking, oh, there was these this one woman or more than one woman that I thought I was supposed to marry, and I prayed to God to let them see that, but I did not marry them, and I found the right one, and the people in the past, their lives have just, you know, gone sideways, and I'm with my soulmate, you know, thanking God for not answering those prayers. I think that is exactly the sentiment of this song. Uh, it's about finding the person you're supposed to be with. He's once the the subject has found that person, he's finally able to look back at those bad times, those lost loves that haunted him, and not be haunted by him anymore. He no, has no longer has regrets and can look look back on them as people that led to his ultimate love. And essentially, he's given a cheer or salute to them and has emphasizing the fact that he has moved on from them. And it's a it's a to me it's a cathartic type song. Chris. Okay, so this one is probably my favorite song on the album. And I know that may come as a surprise because all the other ones, I, I, David knows I love punk music and I love a, a beat tempo. This is a slowed down picking song and I love it. I think it's brilliant. Uh, I love his back, Fallon's backing vocals during the chorus. I love the storytelling. I loved his emotion. I mean, you feel his pain on this. We get another reference to Miles Davis. I hear she lives in Brooklyn with the cool. I think this one, plain and simple, it's a song about lost love. I think this is a very, very sad song. And he's basically telling all the girls of his youth that they could have, like, they should have given him a chance. And honestly, I mean, what guy can't relate to this? Uh, how do you not put yourself back to seventh grade, to tenth grade? How do you not go to that and think, well, oh, that girl that never gave me the chance? Uh, I can. You know, it makes me think of the seventh grade, of me being in seventh grade, falling in love with girls I couldn't have. And I see the 11th, 12th grade me 
dreaming of a chance with that crush, but unfortunately I'm in the friend zone and I can't get out of that freaking friend zone. I relate to this song so much. And I think the song is beautiful and it's sad. And my favorite verse, so it, it kicks into the guitar solo, the drums and bass stop. You just hear the guitar picking and Brian's super emotionally driven voice. You're my Nana, if she asks why, that a thief stole my heart while she was making up her mind. I got goosebumps right now. And I'm going to end on that one. Chris, this might be my favorite track on the record, too. This has a muted mood and feel with quietly arpeggiated guitar, a soft train style rhythm and a bell like guitar floating notes over the top. Fallon is singing all hush like Springsteen does on his sensitive songs. Though Fallon's timbre still reminds me of Paul Westerberg. I keep bringing these up, I'm sorry, but that's that's just what clicks in my head. The vibe is loss and regret. I, I'm unaware of that song that you were talking about, David. I, I didn't pick up, like, hopeful stuff. I, I kind of glommed onto the sadness of it, like Chris was talking about. Our boy addresses three women from his youthful past who got away. He was never able to close the deal on a relationship with any of them. But now that he's a famous musician in Hollywood, he wonders if maybe they think of him as the one who got away. I mean, oh well, they had their chance and it didn't happen. They broke his poor little heart once, but now he's doing all right. I mean, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Interesting, though, that even though he's made something of himself and he can tell himself he's okay, he still dwells on the past. And sometimes those deep wounds never heal and leave you scarred. I think I certainly relate to it too, Chris. That's I think that's why I really like this one so much. You know, I, this one this one touches me. The band smartly doesn't rev this tune up, and instead they keep the burner on low, and that makes this one a big, big winner for me. And that brings us to the final track, the back seat. How about this last one, David? All right, this is my second favorite song on the album. I think it's such a great way to uh, to to end the record. I love how the song starts off very frantically, which is, I mean, it's it's all over the place when it starts off. But when they kick into the verse, the melody hits, and Fallon kick, starts singing. And I love it when he has these songs where he sings with a little bit of a sense of urgency. It's not an angry voice. But it's definitely got a little more vinegar in it than, say, the the vocals from the song before. And he just takes you on a ride on this one. Um, I, I believe it's, in my interpretation of it, it's kind of like trying to find calm in the adolescence of youth and young adulthood. And I think the back seat has a couple of different meanings to it. And he talks about, like, uh, the consequences and and making bad you know bad decisions or whatever and he uses the backseat I think as a metaphor now in my research of this a lot of people say there's a lot of Springsteen references in in this song and so uh, obviously I'm not a big Springsteen fan so I don't necessarily pick up on all of those but again it's him going back to a simpler time or at least thinking about a time when he was younger that was bad and that time has helped to mold him. 
Uh, I think this is some of his best writing, and I think it is a great way to end the album. I'm a big fan of bands that save some of their best stuff for the last song. I think it's it's cockiness. You know, the Black Crows ended their Morka album with Descending, which is one of the best songs they've ever done, and it's probably the most special song to Black Crows fans because of Ed Harsh's play out. And so when a band does this, it's a tip of the cap from me to them. I could not think of a better song to end this album with. Chris. Look, I said at the beginning, the book ends. You know, we, we start with great ex- expectations. We end with the backseat. And um, this is, you know, this is the way you end an album. I, I think it's an absolute perfect closing track. Alex Levine said it's his favorite song the Gaslight Anthem ever wrote. I think this one is great. I, I think that, you know, as you're trying to read into this, you, you, you think about these lyrics. And in the backseat, we're trying to find some room for our knees. And in the backseat, we're just trying to find some room to breathe. Yeah, is he meaning that we're we're all just trying to fit in, trying to fit in where we belong? I don't know. You know, I, I read in something recently, um, and I, I my apologies, I don't know who said this. Somebody was in, tied in with the gaslight camp at this time. So he said, "There's a line in the song in the backseat." He said, "We drove straight on through the night. We rode a fever out of Austin, dreamed of California nights." He said, that lyric, when Brian sings, we wrote a fever. He wasn't kidding. He was so sick that day. He was about five shades lighter than he normally was, and the kid is pale to begin with. He was dripping from his forehead, sick as a dog. That's what the line means. And boom, they just shot off. This is, to me, about as good of a closing track as you could make for a record. I don't know. I think I'm out of words to say. I I, I love this song. I love this album. I love the Gaslight Anthem, and thank God they're back. To me, this is the summary. We get almost every musical element we've heard on this album, from jangly and blurry guitars to mid-tempo and up-tempo rhythmic sections to alternately thumping and syncopated drumming, from shouted hoarse vocals to more tenderly delivered singing. To my ears, this is constructed to be the Gaslight Anthem's anthem. Lyrically, we got car rides, summer breezes, Ferris wheels, asking forgiveness for mistakes, backseats of burned out cars on disenchantment lane, chasing lights, young, wild, reckless, and feverish on a road trip from Texas to California, Fallon's throwing it all into the blender and serving up his version of a mythical and romantic Springsteen smoothie. Mmm, taste that shit. It goes down easy if you have a lingering desire for something else. Something more. Dream big, baby. I want to ride shotgun on this journey because that backseat never provided enough room for my fat-ass knees. So let's go, Gaslight Anthem. The gas pedal's to the right and the open road awaits. Now that the track-by-track is concluded, we'll get into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is worse than being gaslit by the Gaslight Anthem. David, give us your final thoughts on the 59th sound. You know, Chris has turned me on to a few bands that have become absolute favorites of mine. The Cure being one, and Gaslight Anthem being one, and and he knows, like, when I go all in, I go all in. And uh, I, I went all in on this band just like I did The Cure. And, I'm, I'm, you know, Chris and I like to give each other a hard time about some of the music we listen to. But the stuff we agree on, we agree on. And uh, I absolutely, he's absolutely right to point me in this direction with both of those bands. And so I'm, I'm always grateful for that. 
this album to me is Chris and I are a little bit younger than you. Chris and I are both, I think, 45, maybe a two or three years younger than us. This is kind of like the album of that generation. It's it's you've moved on from college and you're just now getting start started in the um, in the real world. And this is kind of a glimpse of what the real world can be. A lot of regret, but you can also make something of yourself. So I, I th- if you watch videos of them playing this album, you'll see people in their late 30s, early 40s just losing their mind. But anyway, um, if I had to give this a one through five, I'd give it a very, very solid four and a half. Excellent. Chris. Look, this is a top 10. It's got to be a top 10 record for me of all time. So I think you know where I'm going with this. I give it a five out of five. You know, it's one of those records that I always go back to. And when the opportunity came up for us to do this podcast with you, which thank you again, I started listening to this album. You know, none of the songs have lost that. I don't know how to say it. They they haven't weakened. They haven't lessened. They're not watered down. They're the same as they were back when I first heard this album. And it's an album I listened to, you know, probably over 10 years ago for the first time. And, you know, God willing, I'm, I'm here at 90 years old. I will probably be listening to then. It's one of those albums that just sticks with you, and it'll be with me for the rest of my life. So what more can I say? I mean, it, it just um, it's just incredible. And I, I do want to close, too, when I say this, just because we have talked a lot about Springsteen and because you are such a Springsteen fan like I am, Aaron, I want to end with this. This is this is from Springsteen. He said it had all the makings of a classic. Every song was great. There wasn't any weak spots on the record. It was fresh and rich and newly discovered. A lot of spirit, a lot of soul. Those things have a tendency to last. The record is as fresh as it ever was. That's high praise. The Gaslight Anthem formed in 2006 in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and began gigging around the Jersey area. They put out their first album, Sink or Swim, independently in 2007, and though the record didn't garner much mainstream attention, independent critics and fans were catching on to the band's blend of pop-punk, alt-rock, and Jersey Shore rock influences. Recorded in five weeks in Los Angeles, the Gaslight Anthem's second LP, The 59 Sound, was released in 2008 and made some inroads on the Billboard 200, becoming a minor hit in the UK after Bruce Springsteen made guest appearances with the band at Glastonbury and Hyde Park, leading to the album doubling in UK sales. The album also was a hit with critics and got positive recognition on many end-of-year lists in the rock press. The group put out three more studio albums before taking an indefinite hiatus in 2015. But as of this episode, the Gaslight Anthem has reunited in 2022 and has plans to tour and record a new album. So as I said earlier, I was expecting something different when I first heard this. The alt-rock sound immediately turned me off. And I was swearing to myself that the guys at Digital Killed the Radio Star podcast as I felt like they fucking gaslit me. It took quite a few listens for the music to grow on me, but eventually most of it did. I just needed to rewire my ears and my brain and stick with it. And eventually many of the songs opened up to me, thank goodness. This band wears its influences right on its sleeve. It's unmistakable. And I hear a range of styles from the replacements to REM to various 90s and 2000s alt-rock and pop-punk bands. But of course, the primary influence is one Bruce Springsteen, especially in the lyrics and vocal melodies. 
You can find references to Bruce on almost every single track. And I wonder if the band ever got sick of all the Springsteen comparisons, but it's their own fault. It's all there. So I've come to appreciate what the Gaslight Anthem does, and they've earned my respect. Now, will I reach for this album again in the future? Probably not too often. There are far too many tracks that for me are just okay. But would I put a couple of these tracks in a future playlist? Oh, yeah, sure. Put it this way. David and Chris, if we were taking a road trip together from Austin to L.A. in a big old convertible with the top down and the sun scorching my skin so I resembled a cooked lobster and you guys wanted to throw this album on as we were putting the miles behind us, I'd say, hell yeah, crank it up. I'd give the 59 sound a three. And all I have left to say is, when we do eventually take that road trip, fellas, dibs on shotgun. Now I'd like to thank David Hudson and Chris Craig from the Digital Killed the Radio Star podcast for coming on and exposing me to the Gaslight Anthem. I hope you guys had a good time. Uh, it was great. I love talking about it. Um, I love your podcast. I've told you that before. Chris and I listen to all kinds of different genres of music. We just don't listen to one. You have anything and everything on here. I told you, I think I told you this when I saw you in Nashville. The four episodes, the four Stones episodes you did with like Ray Permi are what music podcasting should be. That is it at its ultimate. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you always throw yourself into the albums, you know, whether it's some type of 70s adult yacht rock or <laughs> even like some like death metal stuff you guys have done. So I'm a big fan of the podcast. A lot of people that listen to both of my podcasts listen to yours. And so thank you for having us on. It's always an honor. I appreciate that very much. Um, I love your guys' show, too. I enjoyed coming on it. I, what's going on with you guys? We just released an interview with uh, Ace Von Johnson that Chris got set up. It's uh, it's 90 minutes long. It's almost all about punk music. It's it's pretty deep dive. We honestly haven't done a whole lot in the last couple months, and that's my fault. Um, but we're going to get back on it and uh, probably try to do more interviews when we can. Um, Chris usually does formats, those interviews and he does a tremendous job on them. We always get compliments from our guests. So uh, we're hoping to get back in the swing of things. Good. I'm glad because I thought you guys had gone on indefinite hiatus like the Gaslight Anthem. I was wondering what was going on. Yeah. David's trying to pull a Brian Fallon on me. I mean, he, <laughs> uh, he, he's got his whole crows thing going. He leaves me behind some, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, We'll get back in the swing of things, but but Aaron, thank you for doing this, man. Thank you for listening to the record because I am I am as big of an advocate for the Gaslight Anthem as there is. I uh, I love 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 this band, and um, like I said, I'm so grateful that they're they're back together, and even better, they're making new music, and I will be buying it the day it comes out, and I hope to catch at least one of these shows, and to uh, Alex's and Brian and Benny, thank you. So, guys, go ahead and plug your podcasts. Anything else you got going on that the listeners need to know about? Where can they find you? Uh, Digital Killed the Radio Star. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're at Twitter at Digital Killed. And um, like I said, uh, we're going to get more in, into the swing of things and release some more episodes. I've had a bunch of people ask me privately, hey, are you guys done? I'm like, no. Um, I'm glad. Yeah. So, we're, we're going to do more. Maybe, Aaron, we'll have you on for something else. You're kind of like us. You listen to, uh, based on your podcast, you listen to a lot of different types of music. You're a huge REM fan like we are. And so maybe we can make something work with REM or something like that. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. 
If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron, and see ya! Road trip, fellas! It's a style or genre of cinematographic film. I'm sorry. It's a style or genre of cinematographic... I can't can't say that word. It's a type of film marked by a mood of... (laughs) I got tongue All right, let's start over. That was my thing, too. I was going to give the definition. So if you need me to step in, I'll do it. You go ahead. I was worried I wasn't going to be able to pronounce noir. I have have trouble with that word for some reason. Film noir. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.